0: Welcome to Video Store. I am Sam Mulberry. Today, we are talking about the 2015 film, The Lobster. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Sam. Uh, Barrett, this was... I'm trying to think if this is the most interesting film. Uh, Interesting in the Minnesota sense of the word interesting, Um, (laughs) uh, which has a a sort of critical judgment to it. What is your history with this film? Let's just start with that. And then I'll tell you my initial thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, I I went to see the film when it came out. Um, I went with my son, whom I've often mentioned as one of my film-going companions. And uh, it would have been at the Lagoon Theater uh, in in uptown Minneapolis. Um, And I don't know, to be frank, why i went to see it i mean, I just you know i read a lot of film reviews i guess i probably read it, it was interesting i was vaguely aware of lanthimos uh and i had heard of dog Tooth, although i had never seen it so i knew it was going to be uh an unusual film um and it was
0: <laughs> so did, so uh do you have any history with lanthimos Post this movie, then, or no?
1: This is my first Lanthimos. Uh, then I, okay. I did go back and watch uh, Dog Tooth, and I've since watched uh, Killing of the Sacred Deer, and then of course he kind of burst into more popular
0: attention with uh, The Favorite okay well i will say to you i don't i obviously don't have a history with yorgos lanthimos but you know what i have i have a future i loved this movie so much so so much so that this weekend i uh i went back and watched dogtooth and i loved dogtooth i thought those were so interesting in the good sense of the word interesting (laughs) i you you picked a winner here i love every time when you when you um when you propose a movie and you say, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here. Every <laughs> time you've said that it's been a home run. I am so interested in what this person has to say, what this person wants to do on film. And they are h- hard films to watch. Uh, oh, absolutely. In particular was really hard to watch, but they're also very funny. Mm-hmm. There's lots of moments where you're just like, this is such a such a funny idea or, or this, uh, the lobster is full of, just really funny moments, really funny lines. But there, this is also, both of these movies were movies that I watched, and obviously listeners can't see this, but there were both of them had moments where just out of instinct, I was watching the movie like this, with my <laughs> hands over my face, but just wanting to have enough view between my fingers because I wanted to keep watching, but I also didn't want to see what was on camera. Um, this was really, really fantastic. Um, wow, where to start? Uh, what, what? Maybe we should start... Uh, in a place we don't always start, which is why did you recommend this film? What drew you to this this mm. week? Well, I, I
1: recommend it for a couple reasons. One is because, um, you know, you talked earlier in the series, Sam, about wanting to see films that show you something different. Uh, and I think, I think this film shows you many things that are different. I, I, I even think the fact that it's a difficult film to categorize, uh, you can call it a black comedy and it is a black comedy. But it's, you know, so in that sense, we could link it to maybe Dr. Strangelove among the other films we've watched. Um, but it's, it's, but it, it's, it's, it's a film that just, it it's, it's achieves different tones. Um, it's both serious, and you said, and, and funny. But to me, it's sui generis. I just, I just can't think of a film like it. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to watch it. It's like, it, it's it's almost like there's a totally different sensibility at work. It's like Lanthimos just sees the world uh in a very different way from other other filmmakers and also it's just a film that i wanted to go back to you know having then seen his subsequent two a uh, film since then i thought i want to go back to this to this film um just because i i think it merits more attention and actually on returning to it, it i found it funnier than i did the first time around i think in some ways i was better prepared uh for the for the humor
0: it's interesting because the first thing well, the first thing that happens in the movie that the opening scene is a woman who I think is not in the rest of this movie. Correct. Um, uh, drives up, gets out of her car, and shoots a donkey, and then it and then it like cuts to title, uh, which was such a such a strange. It's a great way to start the movie because you're like, I guess so. I guess <laughs> you know I I didn't know what that was about. I didn't know what that was going to be about, and it so it actually set the tone really well. But the first thing that jumped out at me was the the way of speaking that. At first I thought, oh, Colin Farrell has this particular way of speaking in this movie. And it turns out everybody has this particular way of speaking in this movie. Um and what it I I I thought a lot of things as I was watching it. I thought about um uh people on the spectrum, you know, like mm-hmm. where where it's like like they're it's like they're even in their tone, it's like they're trying to process the world around them a little bit. And and obviously the the way that the that they talk about. Um, uh, romantically matching is such like a mathematical, like a simple mathematical. I have a limp. I need to find someone else with a limp, right? So, so it sort of was like it struck me at first that way of like, oh, is that what this is? And then I realized, oh no, that's not it either. And ultimately, what it what it also reminded me of, um, is when I've seen productions of uh, Samuel Beckett plays, it reminds me of the way people deliver dialogue. Uh, often in in productions of Beckett plays, where there's this kind of flatness to it that forces you to listen to what they're saying um, and listening to the words that they're saying and not necessarily the uh, the tones or emotions.
1: That's an interesting point, Sam, because I would also make connections to other filmmakers who have roots in theater. Um, there's a, If you've seen any of the David Mamet films, uh, Mamet's dialogue is very stylized, uh, to a certain extent, Neil Labute uh, as as well. Um, one of the things that uh, I think is one of the critics said this about about the dialogue, and this goes along with what you're saying about people on the spectrum. Um, it's almost as though people who speak these lines don't have an inner life, um, and it's not to say that people on the spectrum don't have an inner life, but it's it's a life that in some way seems disconnected from human emotions. So I think so. I, th- I think that they they speak that way because they are emotionally alienated uh from 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 themselves
0: and what was really powerful about it upon thinking about it was i realized directing them to speak that way getting those performances out of them highlighted the fact that they're maybe less good at doing it but they're doing the same things that i'm doing in terms of like like when i think about uh Conversations that I have, um, that I need to have with somebody, especially if it's somebody that I know don't know very well. In my head, I do. There, there's even a, a point in this movie where David is is sort of laying out. Here is the things I'm going to say to this person, and it's like, oh my gosh, that's actually what I do. I don't. It probably doesn't come off as as mechanical when I do it, yeah. but it, it, I was like, wow, that actually doing this thing, which feels very unnatural to watch, actually is depicting something that is very normal, I think. Well, presuming I'm somewhat normal is <laughs> very normal. Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, also, I also think the part of the effect of the dialogue, um, being as, as flat and, uh, almost mechanical as it is, is in, in my view, at least makes it somewhat easier to watch, uh, because it, 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 it dehumanizes them just enough that you can watch some of the cruelty that happens in their, in, in, in their interactions.
0: Yeah, um and I, I think uh I think another thing that when I think about the, the voices in this movie that I really loved was you this this has a, a narrator throughout the movie and I kept waiting to meet the narrator and every time i'd encounter a woman because everybody's delivering lines in kind of the same way i kept thinking oh is that the narrator and then i realized no that can't be and i so even when we finally met the narrator i didn't believe it was her because i thought well i've had this thought before that this was going to be her and then it wasn't so i actually really enjoyed that i really enjoyed the game of of oh is is this the person who's going to lead me to the end of this story Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um As I'm thinking about uh sort of big themes in this um you know I it's 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 interesting uh, reading some of the the narr- uh, some of the reviews of this people talked about this um as obviously as like this black comedy this uh satire about society and society's views of romantic relationships but also about this very you know black comedy version of a romantic comedy <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> because because it is that too and um so so as I'm thinking about this as a satire I was fascinated by the the uh the ways it uncovers sort of the way we lie to others or lie to ourselves especially in the moments of trying to build relationships that we that there's so much work put into um you know, how can I make this, how can I make myself somebody that this other person is going to, whether it's romantic relationship or not going to want to spend time with now this, they do it to extremes. The, the person who gives himself nosebleeds (laughs) in order to have a similar characteristic to, to another person. Um, but, but again, that seemed like a, a pretty upon thought, a pretty good reflection of like, oh yeah, we do that all the time. I, you know, you, you pretend to like, uh, a uh, certain sport because somebody who you want to be friends with likes that and you kind of convince yourself and 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 you know what is the version of yourself that you're sort of putting out into um into the world and, and specifically you're projecting at specific people
1: and i yeah, thought the we,
0: funniest yeah go ahead yeah no
1: we, yeah we we make we make the assumption right that we need common ground um you know and we've seen this in a couple of several of the movies we watched including uh vertigo being john malkovich the idea that you want to make yourself into the person that the other person wants you to, wants, wants you to be. So it's not, I mean, it's, it's not surprising to think about the idea that we need some kind of common ground. Um, you know, <laughs> when my wife and I first started dating in, in, in college, you know, one of the first things that she did at my urging was read Joseph Conrad's Lord Jim, because that book was so important to me and she hated it. Um, you know, so it turned out that wasn't going to be common ground for us. But uh, she told you she hated it. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, but 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 you know, so what the what the movie does is, is it turns it in it, it it satirizes it in a couple of ways, right? Both by both by making it almost every element of it is superficial. Right. So I've got a limp, I've got a lisp, I get nosebleeds, I have beautiful hair. So you know, it's so so at that level, it's satirizing it. But at, at another level, it's it's hitting on something that is really part of what it means to be to be a human being, part of what it means to connect to other, to other human beings.
0: Yeah, as I was watching the uh, the people do their kind of testimonial introductions, and they would point out like this is my defining characteristic. I mean, I found myself sitting there thinking, well, what's my defining characteristic? What would be the thing that I would say? You know, what would be. Because uh, part of it is, I mean, in 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 the real world, you'd be like, well, what are the what are the things that I care most about? But, mm-hmm. but like you said, like this is intentionally sort of making it this 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 sort of obvious thing. Now, the thing that was interesting about it is that in the movie, nobody questions that. <laughs> nobody questions that. Or at least in that that first part of the movie, nobody's questioning that. Well, of course, it's going to be some superficial physical characteristic. That's what matching up with is. Right. And I think that's, I think that was also really interesting too. Like what are the, the sort of, uh, systems and expectations we buy into.
1: Right. And that's, you know, that, that's one of the first things that, you know, when, when Colin Farrell, when David discovers his wife is leaving him, right, that's his first question about does he wear glasses or contacts? Mm -hmm. Um, So even, even, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, that's a 12 year marriage. It makes you wonder exactly what was it built on if, if, if that's the main concern
0: and we don't encounter a lot of married people in this movie I mean, we we have the uh, the hotel the people who run the hotel are a married couple we we visit um a, f- a married couple in the city a few times right the parents of the the sort of leader of the loners um but it does this it's what, another great thing about this movie is it it doesn't allow you into the normal world <laughs> um or, or at least the, the world of people who are who are who that society views as functioning well, like, but I want to explore that. I would love to like walk around that city more and see like, what are those other relationships good and functioning? Cause we don't get enough views of them to know, but the things we do see are things that we start to question.
1: Well, yeah. And, and, and the hotel manager and his wife, I mean, that's, to me, that's kind of Lanthimos that is most corrosive because. That, that's the one relationship where, you know, they literally sing, uh, sing songs together, they, they literally seem to embody the ideal of romantic love. And we discover that when push comes to shove, uh, they're uh, ultimately selfish, at, mm-hmm. least, at least he is. Uh, and of course, that's, what the lo- that's, that's the whole basis, I think, to the degree that we know there's the basis of the loner philosophy. That basically human beings are made to be are made to be independent atoms, um, and so that scene where they expose, you know, that when Push comes to show shove, he would rather have his wife die than himself. When they expose that, I think that's part of what the loners are trying to get at—the degree that they have a philosophy that human beings are basically incapable of being selflessly attracted to each other. So let's just drop the pretense and let's just atomize. And I think
0: that the the, the to me, the the funniest version of the um, uh, funniest and probably darkest version of the sort of the way we lie to ourselves is when David chooses to say, OK, well, I'm just going to lie, too. Uh, and, and I think. Um, the line that he says is uh, it's more difficult to pretend that you have feelings when you don't than to pretend you don't have feelings when you do. And he starts to to. Yeah. Ah, uh, make connections with the heartless woman, and this, the, this produces then this series of tests which get uh, darker and darker. You know, when they're sitting there, and the the woman um, jumps out of the second story, third story window, thinking that that's going to kill her, and the and and he's just like fighting to re- to not react at all, and and like he passed a test there, and then the thing with the olive, and then the thing with his brother, and you're just like, this is horrifying. <laughs>
1: The, the, the heartless woman is interesting because um, she's the only one that has a characteristic that is not superficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and so in a, in a sense, she's, she's the greatest challenge because she doesn't have an outward physical characteristic that you can imitate. So in a sense, to the degree that the film kind of explores the emotions of love uh, or lack thereof, she's the one that's the real challenge because David has to pretend at a much deeper level. Than uh, creating a nosebleed or or having beautiful beautiful hair, and ultimately that's interestingly enough. That's not something that he can actually navigate. Um, although you can argue that he does right because of what right. he does to the heartless woman. I mean, he proves to be pretty heartless himself in dealing with her.
0: Right. Right and what i think is really is is interesting about that too is because we get to see him in that relationship a little bit longer like the, the it, <clears throat> let's assume that he continues to pass te- tests like he, let's say he passes the test with his brother like is 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 a romantic relationship in this world just a series of people keep keeping to trying keep trying to like test the other person to see if this is real is this really love and does and and do we do that you know like i think that was that was interesting because that's the one of the sort of two extended relationships that we see um well that well that, that, that well that's also i think
1: another element of the dimension of the film sam where it's ultimately a political commentary right this is a this is about a dystopian world in uh even though it's only it's only lightly sketched but then to me that's the other genius of the film is that he doesn't he doesn't do a lot of exposition, right? It takes you a long time to figure out what's going on with the loners. So, so you never have any exposition. You just have these situations that people are put in and you have to infer what's going on. So evidently we have a world in which for whatever reason, never explained, um, you know, the state insists that people be paired up. So ultimately what it's really about is it's, re- it's really about to what degree you can uh, politically uh, impose an order on people uh, and what effect that has on the nature of of human rela- of human relationships. So that's one of the things I really liked about the film is that it, it both it both balances this kind of realistic psychological political commentary with this kind of magical realism world. I mean, for a while, I actually questioned whether or not people were really being turned into animals or whether they were simply being killed. Um, you know, so when David, for example. Uh won't say exactly what happened to the heartless woman here. He always says, you know, you, you don't need to know part of my thought was that's because he just killed her. He didn't turn her to anything. Uh, well, plus how did he know how to turn people into anybody? In the
0: right, right. And how do they know how to turn people into anything? Right. Like-
1: but, but but then, but then the way the film populates with, uh, you know, all the other, all the other animals walking around in the forest. I love it. I, I love it when the camel shows up um, and, and the fat fe- and the, uh, the, the peacock, so i i guess i i decided no okay it's a it is a it's a combination of a very realistic and a very magical realist world and somehow they really are doing this uh and it doesn't really matter because it's all part of an allegory and and i'm right and i'm interested in the allegory so that's that's fine uh,
0: i also think in terms of the the political the political uh satire part of that or the political point that's making it's also interesting that when you get once he gets outside of the hotel, like, and he's sort of, um, rebelling against that, you end up just on a different pole, right? You end up militant again in the, like the people in the woods are as militant about not coupling. It's, it's not about you have the freedom to do something. It's about, we are adamantly opposed to the idea of this. So it just ends, it ends up being this kind of deeply polarized society to the point where, um, real love because i mean it, it sure seems like david and the uh the short-sighted woman there's a, a like that's a genuine relationship that actually doesn't have to do with being short-sighted they're actually they seem very interested in each other and you could in a normal world you see well that's actually what that's what what romantic love can look like In you know it um that that is also banned as well. It's right, it's banned right. by yeah by the loners. So I, so that's just really interesting too. Is that it's how difficult it is to live in any kind of space that isn't on one of these uh, ideological poles.
1: Well, you know, it's it, 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 one of my, one of my favorite quotes in a Conrad novel is uh, one of Conrad's great novels is called The Secret Agent and it's about um, the fight against anarchists. Uh, so you have on the one hand you have society representing order and anarchists representing uh obviously a deliberate disorder but at one point one of the character observes that they're about counters in the same game and and i think that's exactly what you're seeing with, with here with, with lanthimos is that it's 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 binary right and so you either have extremes on one and on one side that is that people can only be romantically or or paired whether it's romantic or not people have to exist in pairs or people can only exist singly but there's no there's no uh alternative as you're as you're suggesting because i think ultimately the question the movie leaves us with um you know to go to to go kind of quickly to the end um the the question the movie leaves us with is whether or not david has either has david actually learned anything about love or does he live in a world in which love can possibly exist um you know so when you see that scene my wife watched watched the film with me absolutely hated it uh, we had a very long conversation about how this is a really bad movie for me to be recommending to people. Um, <laughs> well, tell her I loved it. <laughs> okay. You sure? I, I shouldn't say that. She thinks you're okay. I don't want to tell her that. But, but you know, one of, one of the reasons the movie leaves us in suspense at the end um, is because there's, as, as Amy said to me, what, what happens when he goes back to the table? I mean, whether he goes back to the table having blinded himself or having not blinded himself. I mean, what what alternatives does this world leave him? Leave him? Will he come to the realization that it doesn't make any sense to blind himself because that's not the basis of their relationship, or will he, in fact, um, kind of buy the logic of this world in which he lives, which is he's got to be blind in order in order to be with her? So the way Lantham was kind of leaves you hanging at the end uh kind of you know you're hung up on the horns of that of that dilemma Uh, that to me is one of the most kind of haunting things about the film
0: um another thing that i that i in terms of things that were enjoyable because the uh the i will say the blinding scene um in the bathroom was that was the scene that i both wanted to watch and couldn't actually bring myself to watch at the same time um (laughs) among the things that I, that I, that were really fun and funny was all at the hotel, all of the like propaganda training that they did to help kind of, you know, like, like, how do you, how do you teach people why it's important, why we value this? So they, they had these little plays that they put on, um, uh, you know, about what happens when a, when a man eats alone versus when a man eats with somebody (laughs) else. And, uh, and it's funny, we, my wife and I were watching, um, the first season of 30 rock yesterday. And there was a full storyline about living alone and choking to death. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's right there. <laughs> um, so, so that was very, it was very uh, coincidental to see that same sort of uh, anxiety played out there or what happens when a woman walks alone versus when a woman walks with somebody else. Um, well,
1: and, what, and what I love about it is, is it's, it, it is done like these bare bones allegories. So you have this film, which is itself allegorical, which has an allegory within, within, within the allegory. So it's like in these little scenes, they are talking just the way or they are acting just the way people are acting in the film itself. So it's a perfect mirror of, so, so in that sense you could argue that these, these are actually realistic dramas because they're playing out just the way people in this film kind of live and talk.
0: Right. Right. Um, I also really enjoyed, uh, than a number of the performances in this movie it was i thought it was really um i loved seeing john c Riley show up in this movie i also didn't know who was in other than colin farrell because he's on the poster i didn't know who was in this so uh seeing people sh- like olivia coleman show up and john c Riley show up uh was was kind of great i and i and i loved that the um you, how how even in the created cultural world of this movie where people talk a certain way and do a certain thing there there is still the openness for john c Riley to live in that world too (laughs) because he was both like david in terms of kind of like the way he had absorbed that worldview but somehow it was like but he was still john c Riley to me like in terms of his the way he looked and talked but even his sensibilities still seemed a little bit like that i thought that was kind of brilliant It was, yeah. yeah, um one of the things when I was reading reviews for this movie um that people kept talking about, and this is this is outside of the movie a little bit, but um everybody every reviewer I read took a moment to think about which animal they would choose to be. <laughs> so I'm curious if that crossed your mind.
1: Um, it, it, it didn't, Sam. But I suppose if uh, if I had to pick an animal, I, I would just I would say that because I, uh, I enjoy bird watching, it would probably be one of the birds, uh, possibly an owl, uh, since I like raptors so much. Um, but I also know that life as a bird is pretty is pretty nasty, brutish, and short. So um, I think that I, I I just love the scene where Colin Farrell announces why he wants to be a lobster, and he gives those three reasons. And Olivia Coleman says, oh, "Excellent choice." <laughs> and one of them is they live for a hundred years. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And, and, and also the, I love the idea that she was like, yeah, most people choose dogs. That's why there are so many dogs we need to have, we need to convince people to choose other things. And uh, I, yeah, I actually found it really fascinating when people told their stories about their choices, mm. um, uh, and, and kind of the, the different reasonings, uh, behind that. So, um, John C. Riley wanted, John C. Riley wanted to be a parrot. And then the, uh, the limping man points out, <laughs> you you don't you have a speech impediment now you're going to take that with you why would you want to pick the one animal who can talk
1: (laughs) so what are you going to be fam
0: uh you know i i i i also like you watch this whole movie and that that question didn't occur to me and i i I want to believe that's probably because maybe we're both in like healthy relationships where i'm (laughs) not thinking about about this but ultimately I, i Listening to the arguments that people make, I became convinced that I I should would pick something that allows me to do things that I can't do here. Mm. Um. So so I thought about honestly about either birds or fish, just because mm. like like living underwater or being able to see the world from the from the air and to fly. Like like why would you pick a, a ground bound mammal? It's like I think I know what that's like. So um, yeah.
1: What, what, what's also not clear is once they become the animal, it's, it's not clear that they continue to have their own mind, right? Because it doesn't seem as though Bob responds to David in any way that suggests that he understands him. Or, you know, David doesn't speak to Bob as though he's his brother uh, in, in, a, in a mental sense or a, a conscious sense. He just calls him my brother, but it doesn't appear as though he retains any memory of being a human being. It seems as though his consciousness has been changed as well
0: right although the one young woman who's about to be turned into i think she just turned into a pony yeah because um, yeah they do talk about uh with her about the last your last um day before you change you should do something you won't be able to do then which seems to imply you might kind of have this sense of Mm. of of self that that continues on there um but because even if you turn into a dog you're not able to communicate and interact i mean we don't know what the limitations of dogness is (laughs) um i do also love the introduction of the brother as a way to uh at least show you because they because i would have hated this if they would have shown the technology or magic that turns people but the fact that you are introduced to an animal right away and he just offhandedly refers to him as his brother, um, which both helps you realize, oh, they really do mean this. And then mm-hmm. it sets up later when um, the brother is kicked to death by the heartless woman. Like you have some, it's not just, oh, I killed this animal, but I killed this animal that's your brother. And it's there's also this in, this threat within that of like, when you become an animal, you're also going to be killed. At, I mean, not by her, but by, but but like, right. you know, animals die. Like this is, you know, like, so that's, I guess people die too, but yeah.
1: yeah. That was one of the sticking points in the film for my wife is that she really disliked being shown Bob's carcass. You know, she, and, and that that is an interesting choice that Lanthimos made because I think it's very effective to see the heartless woman with the bloody leg. And I and I kind of go back and forth on whether he needed to show Bob. And I, and I think he showed Bob because he wanted you to, um, it, it helps to make Colin Farrell's emotional response even more poignant. Um, having mm-hmm. looked at that, how could he not cry knowing that was his brother? But that, well, was, it, that was an interesting aesthetic decision on his part. It's really the only explicitly violent, uh, bloody moment in the film. There's a couple of other moments is the guy who has had his lips cut because of the red kiss. Um, but otherwise, most, most and, and the woman who's being beaten up, being uh, pummeled by the heartless woman, uh, but otherwise, most of the violence is implied.
0: Yeah, except for also giving yourself a nosebleed by hitting your head on the yeah, table. That sure that. Yeah. I mean that's that's an own goal of violence, but it's still it's still fairly violent. It's interesting. He did the he does the same thing in Dog Tooth though mm-hmm. with the cat, right? Mm-hmm. Because you don't see the the brother kill the cat. But then it goes back later and shows it in the same mm-hmm. way. I actually think I think it was important that we see mm-hmm. uh, the dog's carcass because earlier we saw that she was going to test David, like with the right. olive, right? And she's not really choking. So when I first saw the blood on the shoe, I thought, oh, this could be a test of she's just like, I, I'm wondering wow. how far you're going to go. And then mm-hmm. this actually shows us, she actually is heartless and not, this is not a, a facade to her. So I actually think we needed to see her not just um act out heartlessness but actually like really be really go all the way with it because this is also showing you what David would really have to live with for the rest of his life. You know, somebody and, and, who's
1: Yeah, and and it's interesting that even in this society where as we've said people seem so detached from their emotions, even in the society the quality of being heartless is is still somewhat I don't know, scandalous, is the right word, but she's obviously somebody who sticks out because it, it's clear that everybody else in the hotel, even if they have to pretend to be romantically in love, they seem to think that's still an ideal. Whereas the heartless woman has completely evidently re- rejected that.
0: The other interesting thing as I think about her is that everyone's defining characteristic is both something that's Thrust upon them i mean the john c Riley character doesn't choose to have a lisp the guy doesn't choose to have a limp or nosebleeds but it's also only one characteristic so it's also something they're choosing to put forward Mm -hmm. so presumably on her first day in the hotel that's the i the quality she chose to put forward as who she is right because the other people it's not that it's not that somebody said no your characteristic has to be this it's what do you choose to say so um i also love that we don't know anything else about her but I, I i would be fascinated to know more about her at the same time i'm glad we don't like like why why did she choose that as her defining quality or defining characteristic
1: well again it's, it's also kind of the mystery of human nature she's she, she's a sociopath i mean why <laughs> why are people sociopaths uh, right right hard to say uh other things you want to talk about with this movie well you know the other thing i um I, I like to do, Sam, uh, you know, is, is kind of talk about ways in which this movie um, kind of connects with or echoes other other films that we've uh, that we've watched. And um, I'm going to go back to bring, I'm going to I'm going to bring up a film that you didn't particularly enjoy, of course, and that was a, that naturally bringing up baby. Uh, and we had a conversation and in in talking about that film about. You know where you found interesting enough the character there is also David. Um, you uh, you you found it implausible that David fell in love with Catherine Hepburn's character, and so one of the one of the arguments I made was well, why do people fall in love? Why do they fall in love? Why do they fall out of love? And so this is another film that's kind of taking uh, t- taking a run at that issue of why why do people love? Why do people not love? And I, and I, and I will point out that there is one that there is one respect in which the film does. Reinforce the notion that two are better than one, uh, and that is when um, Rachel Weiss uh, offers to rub the ointment on his back, uh, right? And and that that's a recurring motif: him in his hotel room trying to put the ointment on his back by himself. Um, so I don't think that the film is entirely cynical about the necessity of people being able to connect with each other. But what I think the film is really about is how um, society. Uh, and other kinds of constraints, other kinds of systems, whether they're social systems or whether they're—this um, may be an oxymoron—but whether they're anarchist systems, uh, that those systems make it impossible or difficult, if not impossible, for people to actually connect in ways that are that are are, are legitimate. Um, uh, the, the other thing I thought about is uh, is the Elephant Man, um, where where John Hurt's character Merrick says, "I'm I'm a, not an animal, I'm a human being," and how this film kind of plays with that idea of you know what's what's the line between the animal and and, and the human being, and evidently that line is kind of completely uh, uh, completely been, been been erased in this film.
0: I'll draw two other connections. Um, oh, I will say in terms of the, the two are better than one, there's a couple other moments where that is seated in there. I mean, David's about to be, uh, shot by the, uh, by John C. Riley, and he's basically stalling long enough for the short sighted woman to come around and take him out. Like they, they actually team up against him, um, in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so two other, uh, two other movie connections. Um, one of them is just sort of a feel like this. The first part of this reminded me of the first part of downsizing only in that it was like I they didn't ex- entirely explain the world and it sort of plays out in front of you and there's technologies that you don't understand. And so like like I had that sort of feel mm. um, just in terms of they're both also sort of satirical uh looks at ways to sort of depict things in society, but another interesting sort of character, human nature moment um, was, I was thinking about how David gets rabbits for the Mm. Rachel Weisz character, right? And then, somebody else brings her a rabbit and David is all of the sudden struck in with such jealousy. And it reminds me of Jake LaMotta in raging bull. Like he just like, can't he, he, he's just obsesses on it. Like, you know, and obsesses about, about, uh, about her cheating on him in a particular kind of way. And it was like, Oh yeah, that, and maybe it's because I know one of the things about my nature is I tend to be um, maybe not romantically, but I tend to be a jealous person. And so whenever I see like, jealousy aptly um, <laughs> depicted on screen. It's like, Ooh, they, they nailed it right there. And so like that, that reminded me of, uh, of, that connection as well.
1: You know, an- another element of the film that we haven't touched on Sam, I just want to mention, I think it's very typical of Lanthimos's films. Um, I don't remember this much with the favor, but I certainly remember it being in the killing of the sacred deer in this film as well is the way that he uses snatches of classical music to help create the mood. I mean, to me, the soundtrack of this film, the musical soundtrack of this film, is a really important element of the atmosphere that he that he creates. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of strings. Uh, there's some classical, like there's some Beethoven, but there's also some uh, some more modern uh, music as well. It's a little bit dissonant, um, and so uh, to me, it's almost, I, I I would draw a similarity to some of the way that uh, Bergman uses uh, music and persona. Uh, to help kind of create the particular mood of, the, of this uh, of, of the film, and so that's that's actually one of these that kind of lives with me is the that, that re- literally resonates in my head is uh, some of these scenes and the way they're accompanied with certain kinds of uh, musical the musical soundtrack.
0: Um, well, I will say uh, you you pointed out that one of the things that I said in our first episode is that I love watching a movie where I've never seen something like this before. And I, I the, another thing I said in that same conversation, which is also true, this movie is this is the exact kind of movie that when it ended, I could not for days stop thinking about it. I just like I just it just kept coming back, and I thought two days after i saw the movie i thought it was better than the day that i saw it not on re-watching it but just on thinking about it i was just like this is really fantastic uh, and really interesting and i'm i'm excited to watch it again my wife hasn't seen it and um but she had wanted to see it when it came out so like i'm sure i'll get to see it again um and uh and i'm i'm also just really excited to see more i know i've never seen the favorite so i want to see that and i'm Uh, I'm on board enough where I'm going to seek out uh, his other films too, just because I, I just find what he has to say very interesting, even though at times it's hard to watch.
1: I think killing of a sacred deer is harder to watch. Um, It doesn't have nearly as quite as much humor, um, but it's an even more, I mean, it's, it's again, it's another one of these mixes of reality and kind of a magical realism. It's another great Colin Farrell performance. Uh, and then um, his wife is Nicole Kidman, and she's she's fantastic. Uh, I hope I, I wish you luck with your wife because my wife hated the lobster. She hated the favorite, um, and so we're not even going to try killing a sacred deer. Um, <laughs> well, and like the <laughs> and like the favorite, so I have you're, a. Little, I have you're, you're for probably people. safe then. Um, I want to go back and watch Alps. That's the one. That's that's the, that's the film he made after Dogtooth, which I have not seen. I'm really interested in that one. So
0: great. Well, uh, do you have a recommendation for next week? uh yes a change of pace (laughs) (laughs) how could you not change pace at this point yeah well i i want to you know
1: as you know sam i i have a um kind of a soft spot for um sweet little indie films uh you know so i would say that and you know along those lines we've watched a couple of those that i put in that category um certainly lars and the real girl uh and uh uh, and get low. So those those would be a couple. of And there's other sweet little indie films i like to watch that right now aren't available um, on either Netflix or a Prime. But the one I want to watch is uh, The C- the uh, Station Agent um, from 2003. Um, now, I have never watched a single minute of Game of Thrones. So when I tell you that Peter Dinklage uh, is the star of this film, it has nothing to do with Game of Thrones. Uh, at the time the film was made, it was Dinklage was was kind of first coming on the scene uh it also it also shares with um uh with Lars and the real girl it shares the presence of Patricia Clarkson who's one of my favorite and kind of indie film actresses and then Bobby Cannavelli is on it is in it as well um he sort of turned into an actor who does villains more than he does sympathetic characters uh but he's a very sympathetic character in this film so I just love this film I just think it's a it's, it's just a film, oh, and Michelle Williams shows up as well. I totally forgotten she was in it until I was reviewing the cast. So, uh, well, I, I think and but- it is the first film by Tom McCarthy, who went on to win the Oscar for Spotlight
0: uh, years later i will say this is yet another movie that i've heard of and i've heard really great things about i remember when this came out hearing people talk about it but it's not a movie that i've seen so i'm very very excited uh barrett thank you so much for uh for recommending this movie this is one that i'd always wanted to see and never got around to and i don't know that i ever would have had it not been for this podcast and not only did i find a movie i really liked i found a filmmaker that i want to. I want to just keep diving into so that's that's about the best thing you can the best gift you can give me on this thanksgiving weekend is uh a filmmaker that i just want to keep watching uh watching movies of and it's all the time that we have if you want to go back into our back catalog you can go to video store podcast.wordpress.com um, that website has links to every one of our shows it has movies organized by um by decade so you can go in and pick out particular films Uh, everything that we've watched has been worth watching um, so you can dive into that and we will be back next week to talk about the station agent in the video store